perspective is and uh, how overwhelmed I am by my circumstances, Lord, in your word and your truth and what Jesus did for us uh, makes all that underwhelming in the presence of how overwhelming you are, God, and how, uh, yeah, just wonderful you are to us, Lord. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for making a way for us, God. I just pray for Brandon today and uh, for those giving testimonies, Lord, that um, we would drink in what you have for us today, Lord, just like that song is saying, that your word is close to us, God. Your word is nigh to us. We have it right here. We have everything we need, God, to overcome our circumstances, God, to overcome any weaknesses that you're exposing to us this week and today. Uh, Father, help us to just take hold of that and to trust you. Um, God, to complete that work in us. Father, we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you guys. Packed house. Lots of visitors. Good to see you. Brian, you your soldier. Thank you for being here. Um, so this has been a very full week. And, I, you know, uh, initially I thought, wow, what can, what can we do on Sunday? Like, we're, we're like, we've got everything we need. There's, there's nothing that I, I, I just don't have anything to bring to the table. And the Lord... Um, Showed, showed me that I was untrue. And and so we do have a message this morning that we're going to get to, but I don't think it would be right to even begin that until we take a moment to hear from at least a few people about what God's doing. And everybody, everybody always walks away from a conference like this one with impressions and convictions and things that, that um, God is doing and calling us to. And so, um, man, I, I pray that you would take some time this week to share what God's doing in your life with other brothers and sisters in Christ who understand and who can pray for you. Because a lot of times, things don't become reality until you start talking about them. You guys know that to be true? Yeah. I'm, an, I'm an external processor that's super true for me. So, like, I don't even, there's no, I don't even, like, comprehend things until I start, until I start voicing them and, and making them known. And, and so, um, make sure that you do that this week. Andrew is going to actually be our first person to share this morning. And, I've, and, and I've, all of you who are sharing, there's three of them. Um, you've got about a minute, minute and a half, if that's okay. I don't know if that's even possible. But it's, we're going to have to go for it. Give it a shot. But, Andrew, go ahead, man. Awesome. And I'm going to use the mic. Um, so, yeah, Brandon asked me to share about something. I sent him a text, and so this is going to be a one-minute version of the text. Um, but I let him know that, hey, that what the Lord's putting on my heart, this mission focus, is just to be all in on submission, um, which is not something that a lot of people like to do. Um, and just to be happy to be one of one of Brandon's guys, like that's the theme that God's put in my life. And so, by extension, I'm working under Andrew uh, under Andrew Ong. So, following Andrew Ong, I don't know where he is, but I, whatever he tells me to do, I'll usually do it. There he is. Um, <clears throat> that's been like the theme of the last year for me, probably. And mission focus was an exclamation point because, as, as someone who's normally performance based, I focus a lot on how things look. So, if if my job is to to clean a room, for example, I focus on how good the, the room looks, and I ask a lot of questions, say, do I need to do this, that, how deep do I need to go, and that's not the things that God's looking for. What he's looking for is when he gives us a job, it's not about getting the job done good enough so that we can go and do what we want. As kids, clean our rooms so we can play games. It's, you've been, you've been given a command, right, called or commanded, and made it pretty clear. We're commanded to be submitted to those that lead in our lives, and so the things that Andrew and, and Brandon tell me to do, um, it's not a matter of, okay, how, how good do I need to do this so I can move on with my life? What they tell me to do, that is what I do as a Christian in my life. Um, 
And that's what, so that's what the Lord put on my heart is, is a submission. And that's uh, going to be an adventure. But, you know, that's, that's what we got to do. It's what the Bible says. So that's my one minute, 30 seconds. Yeah. for everything. So when Brandon texted me this morning and asked me to do a testimony, I was like, heck, no, I'm not getting in front of everybody. You're crazy. But um, I just started to think, and I'm like, okay, what did God show me? I'm going to have to do it because I need to submit. And I was like, <laughs> excuses. I have an excuse for everything. So um, Mark Trotter was talking in the high school ministry about just go for it. And the verses that really stuck out to me were uh, Luke 9, 59 and 60. And it said, And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury me, my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And it's just like I have an excuse for everything, excuse not to share the word because I'm just a sub in a school and I'm nobody. But like God's just called me to to preach his word and to just do it, just to like set my excuses aside, even though I just finished D1 and I'm not in D2 yet and I don't think I'm qualified, I am. And so part of that is me and Lauren are going to take Billy through creation to Christ. my notebook just so I remembered how I phrased it in here. But um, I touched on it quickly when I was doing announcements, but Pastor Pulera's message was um, probably, like, I mean, everything was incredible. Jeff was such a blessing. But I think Pastor Pulera's message tied everything together for me. Because I think for me, a lot of the time, um, I get ahead of myself and start doing something, kind of like what Andrew was saying, I start doing something for the wrong reason. And I'm doing this because I'm like, I'm commanded to share. That's what I'm supposed to do. But in reality, I should be focused on God getting glory from my life first. And then, I mean, it's like, of course, if God is getting glory from my life, if his name is, getting, is being glorified, then uh, that will activate the mission through me. Like, like you know, it's going to be, like, I'm going to be fulfilling the mission. I'm, I'm going to be doing what I'm commanded to do if I'm just focused on making sure God gets all the glory from my life. And so that's something I know that um, it sounds like one of those things, like that's really easy to say, but like how do you, what does that look like practically? And that's where, how it tied everything together for me was that practically we have to understand God's word. We have to be proven in his word. We have to be proven in our submission. We have to be... Uh, quiet and still and waiting and, and being patient and waiting for the Lord to uh, and being faithful. Brandon mentioned so, uh, someone up uh, in, in main service just now that like he's known him for like since he was like 16 and all he can think of this dude as is just faithful and that's how I want to be known. Like I don't care if you like so many times this week 
people have been like, man, you have a great voice. And I'm like, I literally could care less. Like, I, you don't know how much I don't want you sing in front of everybody. <laughs> and all I care about is if, if someone even, like, I don't even need to hear it. But if someone quietly were like, that dude's faithful. That's all I care about. I don't want to be like a dude out, like everybody know my name. I, you could forget my name tomorrow. I don't care. I just need you to know that God needs to get glory from your life. And that is what's going to impact the world. The gospel going forward um, through your life and you being faithful to the mission that he's given us is what is actually going to change lives. Not us. Not, not cool words. Not whatever we have to say. The gospel is what's going to change lives. So that's basically what I've got. And I'm going to get out of here. So... <laughs> Uh, praise God for that. You know, it's it's weird. You don't. It's not fun to like as a pastor to be the one that's preaching the submission message. You guys used to make fun of Dan a lot. I remember because I think he used to say things. He used to use the word submit a lot, the S word a lot. And you guys started making fun of him. So I, when I came into ministry, I was like, I don't want to be the guy that they make fun of for saying submit all the time. I'm just gonna love them a lot and hope that they do. Um, but you know, this message Jeff brought. Um, is, is so practical. It's so practical. And, uh, and I can only say that, that I, I, it, I know that it works because it's worked for every, other people in ministry. That, that God works in our lives and promotes us and moves us and shifts us as we are simply dedicated to the thing that, uh, that he's given us to do. And that's, man, what a, like a simple, I guess I don't want to use the word easy, but a simple life. Okay, there'll be trial and tribulation, and there'll be temptations along the way. But praise God for submission, submission to Him, and, and submission to the authorities that He's put in our lives, you know. Um, there are people in Scripture that did not submit to their authorities, and there's always really bad examples. And the, the, the easiest one to use is the example of Aaron uh, with Moses, you know. Uh, Aaron and Miriam go to Moses, and they're like, look, uh, God's used us. Uh, to prophesy too. So I don't know what's so special about you that we have to listen to you all the time, you obnoxious jerk. And they were mad at him because they thought he was a hypocrite. Well, guess what? The the leaders in your life are hypocrites. You know I'm a hypocrite. Right? I'm not right. I'm not perfect. I mean, I don't know what your expectations of me are. Or Sam, we're not perfect. Uh, But the, the, the difference being that, that, that the Lord has given you leaders and pastors in your life to lead you and uh, if you spend your life questioning him, well, you know, you might end up with leprosy all over your hand. Uh, and that's the story. But no, you might, you know, God does not, uh, God is not a respecter of persons, but when he, but when he promotes someone, uh, he's got an agenda. And so it's not about promotion as much as it's about glorifying his name, right? This is just the structure that he's given us to glorify his name. And so, I don't know, I just felt like saying that we're going to talk about something almost completely different today. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, and we, sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. I didn't really have time to do one. Um, but we're going to talk about, I think I'm calling this uh, Making Missionaries of Millennials. And that sounds really topical and cute and clever. It sounds like a message I would have heard, you know, at uh, you know, some sort of seeker-friendly church. But uh, I think that this is an important, an important message for me to preach and and I hope it, it resonates with you a little bit. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help because uh, we only have 15 minutes. All right? 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time, and uh, I ask for your favor. Um, I ask for anointing, and God, I just ask you to put me aside. Um, I, I, I don't have anything to offer this morning. Um, but Jesus, you are the answer, and your word holds the truth, so, so give me the ability to effectively point to your word this morning. We need that, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, this week has been really amazing, and it's reminded me of how much uh, God is using, actually, this, this ministry, because it was, a, it was a series of messages. There were really four young people who were developing, uh, developing their faith and, and becoming faithful people. Uh, and, you know, the, you guys know this, that the church is a spiritual uh, military, right? It's a, it's a spiritual military. It's structured uh, with authority and hierarchy, and it's a place of training, and it's a place of sending. And one of the things I kept thinking about over the last few days is how important these messages are for you in understanding your place in this kind of militaristic uh, approach. You know, I'm not much of a military man, as, as, you know, in general. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I've never once considered joining the military. Um, I don't know if that surprises you or not. Uh, most art teachers aren't that way. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm so thankful for the discipline that I've gained from being in the church. Um, it, being within the mechanism that God put in place to reach the world. I'm so glad for the authorities in my life because they have given me the discipline that I need as a believer. And they continue to do that. And I think for young believers, a lot of times we need to be reminded of what it means to be within that structure. Uh, because, because the truth is, when you're young, uh, and you're coming into your own, and you're, you're, you're in your 20s, uh, your late teens, 20s, you begin to get very independent-minded. Yeah? And, and it's, not, it's important that you become independent-minded, but in the midst of all that, all the decisions that you make about your life, and about college, and about career, and about homes, and about cars, and about family... And the things that you own for yourself, in the midst of that, you can train yourself to be really independent as it concerns your Christianity. And you can get really far away from what God intends for you in terms of submission because you're getting independent. You know, I see this in high school all the time, obviously, angsty teenagers who, who hate their parents and, and they wear it on their shoulder. You know? They fight with their parents before school and they come to school and they're upset all day and you know, crying sophomore girls. Sophomore girls just always crying. <laughs> sophomore girls... Are always crying. I, one week, five, five in one week. That's the record that happened this last semester. Um, but it's because it's because there's so much happening, and, and and people are trying to pull away and become more independent. And you know that can happen in the church, especially if you're a spiritual teenager, which a lot of you are. A lot of you are in this phase in your Christianity and in this church where you're you're a spiritual teenager. There's a lot of I would say that maybe 20% of this ministry is spiritual teenagers. You know, a lot of you are still babies and you're still growing and you're getting to a place and everything is just really exciting. But for the spiritual teenagers, you're beginning to see holes in ministry. You're beginning to see that I'm not always perfect. You're beginning to see that we don't always do things the right way and that we mess up and you see it. And it can mess with your heart. It can mess you up. Um, and so I thought about these messages as being really good and powerful for, you, for, powerful for you. But on the other hand, I also began to think about uh, the things that hinder the work. And uh, it caused me to consider the stereotypes that surround 
being a person your age. You know, uh, the world makes fun of you guys a lot. <laughs> it, and, it's, and it's weird to me. It's really weird to me. And the reason it's weird to me is because I've dedicated my whole life to millennials. I mean, everything that I've ever done in ministry, really, in terms of leadership, has been devoted to people between the ages of 18 and 35. You know? Uh, I'm 35. I'm like the first wave of millennial, right? I'm like the, on the cusp of millennial. And, and so, you know, the, I don't know if you guys get on social media. You guys are the butt of like almost every joke right now. You know? Have you guys noticed that? Uh, even, even among Christians. You know, I don't know if you guys get on Babylon B. Does anybody follow Babylon B? It's just hilarious, right? But millennials are the butt of the joke and satire. And uh, whether it's like, uh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, you know, if it's uh, your inability to commit. Uh, you know, um, your, your, you know, the snowflake thing. Man buns, coffee shops, latte art, whatever it is. The stereotypes are immense. And it's a real shame because what's happening is, is people are writing you off. Right? Uh, the generations that have come before you, and this, is ha this happens. This is just how generations tend to work with a worldly mindset. Uh, but people are despising you. And there are a lot of people who aren't sure, even Christians, who aren't sure what you're going to become. And they doubt. They doubt what this generation can be. And I hate it. I hate it. Uh, the millennial hate thing is just really stupid to me. And it cuts me. Uh, because I hear pastors um, spout things that are just these broad, brushed stereotypes of who you are. So let's briefly, let's talk about some of these stereotypes and then talk about what to do about it. Uh, the first one being uniqueness and entitlement. Um, you know, the, the, this business about being a snowflake, this is one of the things that gets used the most is this idea that young people today are convinced of their, are convinced of their own uniqueness. Uh, and the result is that people think that you think that you're the exception to every rule. So when they look at you, they think that, man, that, th those millennials, they're, they're always the exception to the rule. And, and what that does is people perceive you, older people perceive you to, to, to have an inability to conform and to submit, actually. So it's really interesting that this submission thing keeps coming up because people perceive millennials as being people that, have, that are unable to submit, to conform to structure. And you, and look, look, the whole point of what I'm saying is some of this is, you know that stereotypes many times are based on grains of truth. And so what I'm hoping right now to do is both dispel the stereotype, but also point out that there's grains of truth within the stereotypes that you need to be self-aware of. As they concern you and your life. You know, another one is this idea that you guys don't have any direction. Um, and you know, part of the problem with this is that for a long time, people have been telling you that you can be and do whatever you want. I mean, when I was a kid in elementary school, I heard all the time, like whether it was reading Rainbow or my elementary school teacher or whatever it was that I was watching or... All of the educators in my life convinced me that I could be whatever I want. And I literally thought I could be in the NBA until I was like 22. <laughs> they lied to me. They lied. Those suckers lied. 
<laughs> no, I knew I wasn't going to be in the NBA after like 20. <laughs> uh, but you were told that you could be anything. And, and you, here's the deal. This communicates a contradiction because you can be, they're saying you can be whoever you want to be, but no one seems to tell you how to get there. Whose high school counselors were just trash? <laughs> like, like, you're like, I want to go to college, please. And then you go down to your high school counselor, and, and they just look at you dumbfounded. Or they point you in a direction. They make you take these personality tech tests. They're supposed to point you in a direction. And the truth is that those tests lie. They're not accurate. And then they tell you where you're supposed to go, but they don't tell you how to get there. And it's a real shame because you're convinced that you can do and be whatever you want to be, but no one can tell you how to get there. And because of the state of the economy, a lot of you guys started going to college and decided to, to drop out because you didn't know what you were going to do with that career. Um, a lot of people are telling you that you have to go to college when, and you don't know what you're doing there. A lot of you guys uh, finished college and you're still living at home with your parents because you're not sure what to do or you're working at a job that you never imagined yourself doing because the con economy doesn't support a generation of people who think they can do whatever they want and be whoever they want to be, you know, someone's got to be a mechanic. Not everyone can be a rocket scientist. Not everyone can play in the NBA. I mean, if it was 1950, I would have a shot. <laughs> but you know, not everyone can play in the NBA. And, and, and so here we are, and we're living in this stereotype, and it's perceived to be that you have a lack and an inability to commit. To commit. And some of that's your fault. And some of it's the generation's fault that came before us. But the point is that that's the perception of you, is that you don't know how to commit. They believe that you have a false sense of reality. You know, millennials own, on average, 7.7 .7 connected devices. It's a lot of devices. Jesus is looking at me like, what is connected device? Is that what you're asking with your eyes? Okay. Like, like an internet-based piece of technology, like my iPad or my smartphone is a connected device, right? So, um, Jesus is not a millennial, so forgive her. Um, <laughs> but 7.7 .7 seems excessive, right? And they say that you use three, at least three or four of these devices on a daily basis. On an average, a millennial spends about 40 hours a week connected. Okay, so that's, that's a full-time job. Um, in 2015, uh, a statistic came out that said 56% of the U.S. gamer population is under the age of 35. They're between the age of, of uh, under the age of 35, with 30% falling between 18 and 35. So 30% of all the gamers are millennials. The culture, uh, the culture supports you being absolutely uh, disconnected from reality. That's what the culture supports. Um, entertainment is everywhere. I mean, I didn't have Netflix, you know, growing up. But, you know, in college, Netflix came out. And uh, I, I fell in love. I fell in love. Uh, uh, I we did well. Yeah, it was before we started before the streaming part came out. Yeah, we used to, even I used to get DVDs in the mail from Netflix. Does anybody in here do that? Get DVDs in the mail from Netflix? You know they still offer that service. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, like they have every movie. They have every movie. Netflix has every movie. You didn't know that. Just the streaming ones. Yeah. So you, you don't have to just watch the streaming stuff. Any movie you want, if you get the mail order thing, they've got it. <laughs> Side note. Uh, you know. Uh, so so entertainment, video games, being connected, being on the internet all day, social media has caused people to believe that you're disconnected and that you neglect important relationships. You neglect your relationship with your parents, your friendships. Um, that you don't know how to be connected at work with people. That you're socially inept. That, that you don't know how to be submitted at church or connected to a body. And you guys know this because you see amongst your peers people church hopping yeah. as an excuse to not submit. To not be committed, to not be connected to a, a, the reality of Christ. You see it happening. And so my point to you is like, look, stereotypes can be harmful. Stereotypes can turn a culture's heart uh, and cause people to despise things that they don't even understand. But you know, there is a grain of truth here. And we need to be aware. And perhaps some of the things that people are stereotyping about you are worth considering and asking hard questions about. Now, most importantly, it is, it's important for Kaya, specifically, to recognize the difficulties of your age with the intent that we might pursue the Great Commission. That's, that's our concern. So, as I was thinking about all of this, um, what came to me was 1 Timothy chapter 4. So, let's go there, and we're going to look at this briefly. We've got five minutes. Great. My introduction took 15. I, I apologize. So, we're going to... We're going to use God's word now. Okay, so as Sam said earlier, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy is written from Paul to Timothy. Now, if you know anything about Timothy, is that he chose to start following Paul in the ministry at about age 16. So Paul, I mean Timothy, became a missionary at age 16. And by the time he was in his early 20s, he was pastoring a church. It's pretty amazing. Paul recognized that because of his youth, there was, there was potential for people to view him based on their stereotypes about young people. Did you know that? So in chapter 4, what we see here is Paul addressing the potential stereotypes that come with him being a young person in ministry. And I love what he says here. Let me explain something to you real quick. If we go a little over and you need to go, that's okay. <laughs> you can go. No one's going to blame you. Uh, when I first started ministering to middle school and high school students, I was 22 years old. And I know for a fact that people older than me despise my leadership role. They just did. And this passage, I clung to this passage. <laughs> As a 22-year-old ministering to high school students, how do you go to a high school student's parent and tell them or have any input or give them any counsel about raising their kid? How do you do that? I still can't tell you. I'm 35 now. I still can't tell you. It's difficult. People despised my youth. And so I clung to this passage. So let's look at it real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. The first thing that Paul tells him here is, Let no man despise thy youth. 
Let no man despise thy youth. Do not let people hate you because you're young. Do not let people's perspective of your youth affect you or harm you. Refuse wrongful views of who you are. Refuse the stereotypes. Refuse them. All the things that we just got done talking about, when people project that on you, refuse them. They do not have to be true of you. They don't have to be true of you. But listen to me. Listen to what he says next. If you're going to let no man despise thy youth, then you better be an example of the right things. You better be ready to prove them wrong. And not for the sake of proving them wrong, but, but, but proving Christ right. Christ does not despise thy youth. You know, God, God gives us no stipulations on Scripture based on age about who can and who cannot serve Him in whatever capacity. He talks about novices, he talks about immature people, and he talks about mature people. He talks nothing about age. But, but, you, be, you better be ready to prove Christ right with your life. And this is how you do it. Paul gives us the way to do that. Let's read on. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. See, Paul knew this, and he was teaching it to Timothy. Your life communicates. So let your life contradict the stereotypes. Let the pattern of your life refute the things that people say about you. There are expectations for you to be immature. Let your life refute that. So let's look real quick at these. In word, let the content of your words be Christ. In this church, in this, in this place, in the world. With me, with your peers, with people that you come in contact at work, let your words be Christ. That was Paul's advice to Timothy. Because that's how you're going to be example that they are wrong about you. Uh, James 1.26 says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. What you say is, is very, very important. The way you handle yourself, in terms of the words that you say, you know what young people do a lot? Is they speak out of turn. You, wanna, you know something about Je uh, Jeff Grasher? When I started inviting, when I was in high school ministry, I started inviting Jeff Grasher into the pastor's meeting. You know? He was young. He was very afraid. He didn't want to come. And I started inviting him to be a part of that meeting. And I'm pretty confident he didn't say anything for six months. He just sat there. He didn't have anything to offer, anything to say. And you know what? I respect that. I respect that. What a great example to me. To me. You need to know how to use your mouth. And when you say things, you better be talking about Christ. In conversation, let your conversation, which means lifestyle, be Christ. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as it, as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye, be, uh, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conversation be the gospel. Let it be the gospel. Let your lifestyle look like Jesus Christ. Let your life be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
the way you hold yourself, be, be humble, without pride, without arrogance. It's a very difficult thing to do. But this is what Paul's asking Timothy. Look, if you're going to prove them wrong, if you're going to make their stereotypes seem foolish, then you better handle your lifestyle in such a way that it becometh the gospel. That it look like the cross. That it look like sacrifice to all mankind. Which leads us to the next thing, in charity. In charity. Charity is a specific type of love. It's a love that's displayed in actions of sacrifice, in giving. The giving of self. So you can prove them wrong by being a charitable person, someone full of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, expounds on this kind of love. You can look at that later. But a charitable person is willing to give of themselves. And it says this, it says this, you prefer other people above yourself. Now tell me that doesn't contradict the millennial stereotype. Preferring others over yourself. If you can learn to do that, you can tell them to shove that snowflake somewhere else. It's just not true about you. It's not going to be true about you. If you prefer other people over you, because a snowflake, is, there's the, they're the only one, right? They're, they're unique. They're extra special. Guys, there's nothing special about us. The only thing that makes us special is Christ in us. It says, in spirit... Let the passions within you, that's what that means, the word spirit, in this case and in this context, means the passions or, or, or the, the desires of your heart, let, they ex- let them exemplify Christ. What are your passions? What are your desires? What are the things that drive you? They communicate something. What you want to do with your life. You know, going back to the whole education and career thing, listen, many of you, have an idea about your education that is really selfish. You're not thinking about whether or not your job or career is going to actually be usable for the gospel's sake. And you know that if that's true about you. Let everything that we do be about our desire to lift Christ up and make Him magnified. We have to live that way. So, So Timothy, Timothy... Brother, I know that you're young. I know you're a young pastor and people don't respect you and people despise you. But listen, you've got to have, your desires and your passions have to be right. And when people see that, they'll know their stere- the stereotypes are not true. <clears throat> in faith, in faith, let your life display faith in Christ. Let your life display faith in Christ. Do you trust God for things openly? Some of you are trusting for, for things of God. You keep quiet because you don't actually believe that he's going to do them. Let's start talking about the things that we believe God for. Let it be known. And when people see you trusting for God, in God for crazy things, and then he begins to provide for you, they'll take all the things that they said about you back. They'll call you a faithful man. They'll call you a faithful woman. Lastly, in purity, let your life be an example of purity and holiness. Verse 13, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Hey, young man, young woman, millennial, give yourself to the structure of learning and growth that, that this church provides you. Some of you are in discipleship. 
Some of you are in D2. Some of you are in LFBI. Listen, give yourself to study. Give yourself to growing in the Word. That God might use you despite the stereotype. Despite what people say about you. And do it with excellence. This is what I want to, I want to say this. For those of you who are in LFBI, listen to me. You can't be, you can't be okay with a C in LFBI. Do you hear me? Amen. This isn't your high school math class. This is the thing that you're saying that you care about the most in the world. Now, I'm not a big fan of grades. I'm an art teacher. I don't really care about it. I want to know that people know how to do things. And that's true in the ministry, too. So the academic part, you know, you know, not all of us are good at reading and studying, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know what? Your life needs to display and magnify and reflect the things that you're learning in class. Whether that be in discipleship, D2, at any level, your life needs to look like growth in God's Word. Verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is, has given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now, for Timothy, he was instructed here to not neglect his gifting. Don't neglect the gifting. This means don't waste what God has equipped you with and has made you able to do. What is your gifting and how are you using it? Now note here that Paul recognized Timothy's gifting, but he commissioned him for the work. See, see what you've, you've been commissioned to do only works within the context of the church. It's only as real as it is within the context of the church. Your gifting is useless if it's not put to work. And so what Paul said as Timothy's leader is, look, I'm going to have you do this thing. And however God uses your gifting, you're going to do it in the context of this thing that I've told you that you're going to do. And that's got to be true here in Kaya. What we ask of you as leadership to do, you need to let your gifting be magnified in the context of what we commissioned you to do. For Timothy, it was the pastorate. For some of you, it'll be discipleship. For others, it'll be leading a Bible study. For others of you, it'll be working in kid town and serving and doing hospitality. Whatever we've given you to do or commissioned you to do, don't just submit. Do that thing with excellence. Use your gifting in whatever way God would lead you to do, but do it as you've been commissioned. Verse 15, lastly, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt, bear, uh, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Listen, Kaya, no one gets to look down upon you because of your age. In fact, listen to me. This is my perspective, and I want you to know this. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul believed that his generation was the last one, didn't he? He believed that the generation in which he lived, he was, he was convinced that Christ was right around the corner. That at any moment, Christ would be coming back, and they would be gone, like that. Well... <clears throat> About 2,000 years later, here we are. But the beautiful thing about Paul being convinced of that, the way that we read his writing, we have to be convinced of the same thing. The beauty of Scripture is that it points us to the same idea that Christ is right on the horizon. You know what that means? That means that, that you, millennials, and you know next year is our first generation of Generation Zers 
going to be graduating into Kaya. The you guys, to me, in my mind, are the last generation. If you don't pursue Christ, who will? If you aren't the missionaries and the pastors and the servants of God, who will be? So I'm putting my money down and I'm putting my faith in what God's going to do in you. It's our responsibility to prove them wrong as we prove Christ. Christ in you. If you look like Jesus, you will always be the exception to the rule, right? You will always break the stereotype if you look like Jesus. Because no one looks like Jesus. So in conclusion, are you living in such a way that, that your testimony before God and man is one of spiritual maturity? Timothy, a missionary by age 16, giving up everything, giving up his family. At 16, he was mature enough to say, nothing I really want in this world is worth it. By his early 20s, he had oversight of a church. Yet he was still learning. He was submitted to Paul. He was growing in the word. He was proving his testimony in Christ. So my question to you is, are you? We have a lot of work to do, guys. We cannot afford to not be spiritual and mature beyond our years. We have to be more passionate. We have to be more serious about God's word. Not, listen, at the end of the day, this is not about, about, this is not about winning. This is not about, this is not about a transaction that we make, right? This is not just an investment. This is not just duty. This is not just work. This is not just a military. This is the bride of Christ. This is love. This is like every passion and desire that you could possibly have. That's what this is. This is glorifying God. Will you be a generation of people who glorify God and in so doing, you will prove all of them wrong and we will reach the world. We will reach the world. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be dismissed. I love you guys. Um, and I love you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I hope that, um, I hope that this week strengthens you. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I am amazed by what you've done, and uh, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for what you're doing in my heart and the patience that you're teaching me. And, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that um, I have men in my life that I submit to and that I turn to and that I'm a man under authority. I, I appreciate that.